Greetings and salutations, fellow Skywatchers from all corners of the globe. No matter where you're listening in from, welcome to another exciting episode of Skywatchers Radio, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network, and of course, PSN Radio. Now, I am going at it alone tonight, folks, for a little bit, anyway, for a few minutes. That's right, I am one half of the dynamic duo that makes up this show on a weekly basis. My, some would say, lesser half, and some would say better half. Uh, Alan is not on the show right now. He's having a little bit of an issue with the government, the TSA, to be in fact be exact i should say the tsa seems to have an issue with uh, our co-host and they've detained him not kidding folks i'm not kidding he has been detained and uh, as soon as he has a chance to get on the show tonight he is going to explain why he is late and what happened with the tsa from what he, he briefly told me it was a scary experience now, joining me in a little bit, we're going to have Alejandro Rojas from Open Minds. He's going to give us a, a little report here from uh, our good friends at Open Minds, the website. And uh, we're going to have him on periodically here on the show as our Open Minds news segment. And um, that's a lot of fun. I love having Alejandro on. In fact, I wanted to thank him before he even gets on the show tonight. Uh, he, you know, I was on his show a couple weeks ago, and it was really, really cool. If you guys go to Open Minds, uh, the website, openminds.tv, uh, go to the website, and um, there's an episode in there he posted it of, well, he, he was interviewing me, which is very awkward for me, because I'm always used to being on this side of the table, kind of speaking, you know, like to the guest asking the questions, being that guy. And it was just odd to be on the other side. And I've had Alejandro on uh, on the show here before, which begs the question, you know, what took him so long to have me on the show? He's been on my show uh, a dozen times now, and five years later, he finally says, hey, uh, Jackal, you want to get on uh, Open Minds here with me and let me interview you, and it'll be great. And it was great. It really was. I had a blast with Alejandro on there. And uh, it, it really is a great episode. Everybody, you go check it out. Open Minds, the website, has it posted up there. And uh, he's going to be joining me in a few minutes to, again, give us our Open Mind report. Because we need to have our Open Minds. Shoutouts to uh, Jimmy Church, who, of course, is a great lead-in to have on this network. Or any network. Great show, the Jimmy Church Show. And I love listening to his show uh, on a regular basis. If you guys who are listening to this show just come to this show exclusively, don't blame you. But, you know, really make some time for other shows on the networks. 
And uh, the Jimmy Church uh, show is definitely one you should be checking out too. Fate to Black airs right before Skywatchers Radio. And uh, again, a, a great, great show. A lot of good shows on the network. So please check out the rest of them. Uh, Hyperspace, Researchers on a Mission, The Unexplained, Fate to Black, Future Theater with Bill and Nancy Burns. Hi, Nancy. I'm sure she's listening in. Great shows on the network, and of course, on PSN, we have a lot of great shows also. So I hope everybody listens in and enjoys the shows. Also, I want to urge everybody to please check out our uh, Skype and call in, because, you know, nobody does that. And that kind of, that, this really irritates me. When I do a show with just amazing people like Jesse Marcel Third or Stephen Bassett, who's going to be on with us pretty soon again, or... Travis Walton or somebody like that, somebody great, or like even the gentleman who's going to join us tonight uh, for the show, who's going to be the main guest, Aaron Judkins. You know, we have some really, really great guests on the show. And then when we open up the lines and we say, hey, join us on Skype or call in to our number, nobody calls in. Not one of you. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because we've had sprinkles of calls here. Just no. a few sprinkles. We know we've had a few sprinkles, and not nearly enough. <laughs> I mean, it's really laughable to, to, to you know, to really look at the shows we've done here and have uh, no call. So please, if you guys are out there and you want to join in, don't get scared. Nobody's going to bite your head off. I mean, we're not. Look, I'm not Ozzy Osbourne. Okay, I'm not. I don't bite bats head heads off or anything like that. So feel you know, feel free. Call in seven eight six two four five. 8127 is the call-in number, and of course, find us on Skype by looking up PSN Radio, and uh, join in on the fun. It's always fun to have you your input on these uh, tremendous shows that we put together here on a weekly basis, and I gave uh, a little bit away there. Yeah, we're going to have Travis back on the show, and in fact, I haven't interviewed Travis in a long time, and uh, shame on me, because I... I've, could have reached out to Travis uh, several times and had him back on the show. Uh, it's just one of those things where you're booking shows constantly over and over and over and over, and you're booking different guests. You always try to get you know new people on the show to really give the audience something fresh and something new on a weekly basis, and it's tough, man, let me tell you. Doing these shows is uh, not easy. It's not easy to book the guests and you know get everybody ready and all that stuff, but you know we make it work. We really do, and with Travis, it was always uh, one of those things where... You know, I always wanted to have him back on, but I don't want to bother the guy because he's such a busy man, and he's somebody who I look up to so much in uh, this field of ufology. In fact, that's some of the stuff we talk about on uh, the Open Minds interview with Alejandro and myself, the guest. Uh, talked about how, you know, his case really is one of the main reasons why I'm so interested in ufology in general. So he is like one of my heroes, and it's one of those things that's, uh, you know, it was it's awkward to interview somebody you really look up to. You know, it's just weird, man. Like, uh, when I was interviewing uh, George Rodriguez from uh, SoFlo Radio, that to me was just weird because I, I, I've loved listening to him on radio for such a long time uh, that having him on the show and interviewing him was just awkward and weird for me. But uh, it's always fun, uh, you know, to interact with some of these folks. And I always wanted to have Travis back on immediately, and it just the years just passed. And while I've, you know, booked them on other shows that I've produced, I've never literally had him right back on one of my main shows. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be a fun uh, next couple months. I mean, we have a lot of really good shows booked up. A lot of good shows booked up. In fact, one of my favorite guests ever, and I haven't had him on yet, but from other shows that I've heard. He's one of the, the best people to listen to on a show as a guest. Michael Heiser. 
is going to be on here with us on Skywatchers Radio. And Michael Heiser, by the way, folks, uh, if you know if you're a believer in Sitchin's work, if you're a believer in ancient astronauts and all that stuff, watch some of Michael Heiser's uh, stuff on the internet. Check out SitchinIsWrong.com. Check out the documentary, uh, Ancient Aliens Debunked, that he took part in with uh, Christopher White, I believe is the gentleman's name, who put it together. Uh, I mean, you know, what they put together there really, really debunks the entire uh, Ancient Aliens stuff. At least a lot of it that was on that show. And I've said this before, and I got into a little bit heated argument on Twitter. What's up, Eugene? Uh, but, you know, there is a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in ufology that is fraudulent, and, and that's sad. It really is. And uh, he has done great work and pinpointing some stuff that anybody can really research for themselves. I mean, really. Uh, you can go to your local libraries and start researching some Hebrew languages, and you'll start seeing how Zachariah Sitchin was fibbing. He was fibbing, folks, and a lot of the stuff that you know that he was saying. So, anyway. Uh, we, we're going to take a quick break here uh, just to uh, clear the lines and get Alejandro Rojas on the show with our own Open Minds News segment. And I'm, I'm going to just love having this on the show at least once or twice a month with Alejandro because, uh, like I said, he's one of, the, one of the main reasons why I got into internet broadcasting. His show was literally the first show I ever heard and been a fan ever since, and I'm just uh, glad to call him a friend. So let's uh, stick around for, uh, for me, guys. We're going to be right back with Alejandro Rojas on Skywatchers Radio. Going solo. No Allen. The TSA has taken him away. Maybe the men in black will give him back. Maybe no. not. Everybody, the sounds you're listening to right there, that's Taxman by good friend Tim Branham. Love that band. But now, without further ado and further delay, 
We're joined by Alejandro Rojas from Open Minds Radio, Open Minds, the website, and he's going to share with us some Open Minds news. Alejandro, welcome back to Skywatchers Radio, my friend. Yo, yo. How's it going? Always a pleasure to have you on. Always an honor and a pleasure. And I was telling the audience how much fun I had on your show. Being interviewed by you was just weird, man, because I've been listening to your show for five, six years now and been a fan for a long time. So to to be interviewed by you was just, you know, it was a little weird for me, man, but so much fun. Should have had you on sooner because it is a lot of fun. And I guess you talk a lot. And, uh, it's kind of funny because I talk to a lot of people in this field quite often, and lots of times I'll be thinking of who to have on the show, and I'll be like, well, I just talked to that person, then just talked to that person. And then when I'll go to, well, I should have them on again, and I'll realize, wait, I never did actually have them on. I assume they were on, or sometimes it's just because I've been on their shows or talked to them here or there. So, uh, yeah, that was a long time coming, I think, because... Uh, You've been doing this for so long and everything, you, you know, you got a lot to say and you were able to share a lot of really fun stories. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And a lot of great feedback, too. I've had a lot of people that heard the cool. uh, the show say they loved, you know, the show and it was really uh, awesome. good. And, and I, I was nervous at first, man, because, you know, it's weird when you're on the other side of the table and you're getting asked the questions. Yeah. It's not the same. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, I hope he doesn't <laughs> ask me any personal questions like uh, something that's going to drive some skeletons out of my closet or something crazy like that. <laughs> but, no, you're you're a gentleman and you did a, a great interview. And, uh, you know, I applaud you for being gentle with me. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any skeletons. So if they're there, you find them well hidden. They're not. They're, <laughs> the ones I do have are very well hidden, my friend. Now, speaking of yeah. skeletons in the closet, uh, what's new in the world of open minds? Uh, share with us some of the hot news that's going on on the website. All right. Yeah, I guess I'll talk about. I guess there's a couple of huge stories right now. One has been big for about a week, and another one has just made it big in the past day or so. And uh, it's been a while, so we haven't got to talk about Hong Kong. So hopefully your listeners have heard of this one. If not, of course, all these, everything we're talking about, they can go to openminds.tv and check out. But, uh, yeah, this is cool. So the Hong Kong protests were being covered by BBC, and a man in Scotland recorded, noticed some object in the background, a light that kind of floated across the screen, and then uh, it gets about in the middle of the screen and shoots straight up. So he grabs his iPhone and he videotaped this thing. It looks like he actually had the, the news recorded, so he played it back on his DVR or something. And you can hear him. He's like, what is that? What is that? That's my best acting. <laughs> good acting. That is- That's good acting. good acting. But this thing was really cool. So we've had a couple of experts look at it, uh, namely Ben Hansen from Factor Fake and Mark D'Antonio, the, the MUFON uh, guy. Mm-hmm. And they both, he's a chief analyst for MUFON, they both feel it was probably a drone. And uh, because there mm. was, BBC did have, and other news agencies had drones up there since it's yep. so popular these days recording stuff. And sure, at first I would say that, but you know what's kind of weird about this video is just at the end, it looks like it shoots straight up. Now, Mark and Ben are saying it could be shooting towards the camera, so it looks like it's shooting straight up. But, man, the movement sure is weird, and uh, it's a really great video. So that's been all over the place. So have you had a chance to look at that one? I have not, but I'm going to put that on my uh, to-do list immediately to watch that. Yeah, definitely. you got to check this out. Everybody's got to check this out because it's a great video. 
And, uh, of course, uh, Ben and Mark could be wrong, so it would be great to have uh, more people's input to see what they say. It's amazing that what people could do with drones, though, nowadays. So it, I mean, it's possible that it yeah. could be some kind of a drone. I mean, I've seen some, well, uh, you some know crazy what? stuff. I, yeah, and, you know, when I found this video where this guy is kind of doing this stunt flying with these things, mm. and, man, they zoom all over the place. So they yep. do zoom all over, and they can move really quick. It's just in this video. Now, the guy who is recording it obviously thinks that the thing is really far away. Like, there is a building maybe half a mile away, and he thinks it's, like, uh, above this building. I don't think he's right there. I think it's only a few blocks away, maybe, because it seems like it moves in front of a couple buildings that are much closer. And these are all skyscrapers in Hong Kong. Um, so I think it's closer than he thinks, but it's still quite a distance. And uh, there's quite a distance from the object and the top of the screen when it shoots off. So it's moving over a pretty good-sized distance uh, extremely quickly. That's what makes it really weird. Yeah, so people have to check that out. That's cool, man. I, I'm going to, uh, yeah. like I said, bookmark that right now so I can check it out later. Uh, yeah. It's am it's amazing though the drone thing. Uh, that's really going to make it tough now uh, to analyze some of these videos though, uh, with the way that technology is yeah. like, just taking off and blowing up. Yeah, you know what? There was a guy uh, at a more um, mainstream news site. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was Vice or IO9 or one of those that is kind of a millennial site where they yeah. uh, are a, a bigger site, but they kind of uh, cater to a younger audience. And they were talking about essentially saying that drones really screw up UFOs. UFOs are screwed now. And, and they make a good point. And I've been making this point, too, because it's practically impossible to tell if something's a UFO or a drone. From drones a drone so to, much. yeah, from Chinese lanterns to drones. I mean, it's really yeah. getting, uh, murky now to be able to tell what's real and what's not. And CGI, exactly. of course. CGI doesn't yeah. help either. Well, and, you know, with the drones, I mean, it could be something that isn't CGI that's moving, and right. it's hard to tell. I mean, if a light like this one, this is a light that's doing some incredible kind of maneuvers. If this was, let's say, five years ago, it wouldn't be so much question, but now it is. And so it's, mm. gotta, it's really hard. It really screws up this build a lot, and I agree with this guy who said that. I, I mean, it really makes it, you know, extremely difficult. Uh, let alone with, like you said, CGI getting cheaper and easier to do. I mean, as a researcher, though, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you continue uh, to take some of these, you know, these videos serious uh, when you know that most know. of the stuff, most of the stuff, could be, you know, CGI drones, you know, and there's yep. so many hoaxers on, on the internet, which is uh, just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, and this is a sad one because I, I, I always felt like this is one of the best videos out there. Um, but uh, we posted this this week, too. Um, you know, actually, a few months ago, Ben McGee, uh, who was on Chasing UFOs, he was their science guy. Uh, we've gotten to know him. I really like the guy. He's a great guy. And I went and saw him and Ben Hansen do a joint talk together at uh, the National Atomic Testing Museum. And he mm. debunked the Mexican uh, FLIR UFO from the Mexican Air Force. No when he told me he was going to do this, I thought, yeah, right, go for it. Because so far I hadn't seen a completely sufficient debunking I had felt. He did it. So I've been begging these guys to give us the video so I can share it and see what, you know, because he just very succinctly lays it out. 
And uh, so they gave us the video. They posted the video, and I wrote a story about it. So you'll have to watch this, too. But it's another example of, of something that looks great, you know, that can just uh, be mistaken and uh, how you have to do some really hard work to figure these things out. Little did I know, this is kind of interesting, since I posted the story, there was actually a Mexican Air Force guy, retired Air Force guy, who uh, did the same exact analysis that Ben McGee does in this video I just posted this week. Uh, And he did this soon after the sighting. And uh, so he really laid it out very well way back then, but everybody kind of ignored him. So um, uh, I, I'm happy, you know, for to he, somebody posted, and I posted around too, that uh, this guy did this to show that, uh, hey, this guy knew this all along. So, yeah, so that's a sad one. But what's harder to debunk, and I think what's great, is stories like this one from Colorado. Not sure if you've heard this one, but uh, on October 3rd in Breckenridge, a bunch of people saw UFOs, including the local police department and a reporter from Nine News, the NBC affiliate out there. So this is really crazy. The police said that, uh, you know, they saw some shiny white dots floating in the sky, essentially. Uh, The news reporter had taken some pictures, and he's got that uh, on the uh, website, and you can see that. And we have that story up so people can check that out. But uh, the news reporter said he sat there and he watched these things. And they were these little white dots that sat perfectly still. They did not move. And after about 15 minutes, he said he saw a flash of light and they took off across the edge of the mountain ridge behind him. So his point is, you know, some people have said, no, maybe they're meteorites, maybe they're balloons. And he's like, well, that doesn't really fit to what I saw. Balloons are going to sit there for a while and then take off at a great speed. Right. Uh, you know, meteorites aren't going to do that. You know, that's really unexplainable. So he's like, you know, I don't agree with this. They called NORAD. NORAD said they were tracking some anomalies, and this is kind of interesting. So they called NORAD and said they they were not tracking any anomalies, but NORAD said, uh, we are investigating. That's what they told NBC News. Huh. Uh, the, yeah, and, uh, you know, NBC News also said the police were investigating. So the local paper uh, just, I think, yesterday you know, wrote a story on it uh, out in the area in Breckard Ridge. They talked to the police, and the police said, well, there's really nothing to investigate. Some of our cops saw some weird stuff, and uh, that's about it. NORAD said, well, we didn't track any anomalies, so we're not really investigating anything. She calls the FAA, and this makes me so mad, because FAA's told me this crap before, too, and I, I, it just drives me crazy. The FAA says, we're not in the business of tracking UFOs. We're in the business <laughs> of air safety. So you've got to call like New Fork or, you know, call a UFO group. Right. Well, come on. A UFO <laughs> is something that's unidentified that is in the airspace. How is that not threatening? Airplanes. Yeah, how is that not threatening airspace? That is completely, they are derelict in their job <laughs> if they're not checking these things Not, not out. to mention, Alejandro... Not to mention, Alejandro, that you know UFOs have been known to uh, you know be over bases and stop everything, even right. nuclear bases. Right. It's ridiculous. In fact, you know, 
The first time I called the FAA was on my very first investigation, and it was a security officer who, in Colorado, actually, who um, was just back from Iraq. And he's like, you know, he's used to just observing things and reporting them when he sees them. And so he uh, says he called, he saw this weird thing above uh, Lookout Mountain there where a lot of planes use and a lot of planes are flying by. And it was pill-shaped and it was making some strange movements. He said he called the airport, he called the police, nobody cared. And I think it was the police who actually turned him on to MUFON, so he called MUFON. He said, I was the only one to reply and actually take it seriously. So that's when I called the FAA, and they gave me this crap, and I told him, I'm not reporting a UFO. I'm wondering if you were aware of this freaking thing. This is a guy back from Iraq. You don't want to hear? You know, when he was in Iraq, he's used to reporting these things because it could be uh, an enemy or, or some danger, and you don't want to hear anything? Oh, then they said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, let me get you to this other guy uh, who checks the radar. And he said, no, we didn't track anything on radar. And that was the end of that. But um, crazy, crazy stuff. But it's a really cool story. It's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it looks like there'll be no further investigation, unfortunately. But really, what a great case. Uh, I mean, what the heck was that? Uh, how, I mean, what other further what, investigations? What's that, Angel? Uh, what other investigations could they provide, though? I mean, no, you're right. There's not much more they can well, do. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, they're gone. So uh, no, right. what, what, what gets really... me? What gets me though, Alejandro, is UFOs have been tracked on radar before, and here we have nothing tracked yeah. on radar. Uh, maybe yeah. they're getting more advanced now. They're learning how to bypass radar, huh? Yeah. Either time. that or they're on radar when they want to be on radar. They're not on radar when they don't want to be. Um, who knows? It's so difficult to know. I mean, uh, I do agree yeah, with one. Really I do agree cool with. Case. I do agree with something you said, though. Uh, you know, it's cases like that that have uh, actual witnesses that are going to provide uh, some sort of meat to you know ufology in the future. Because uh, with the drones and CGI and all the stuff we were talking about earlier, it's just, uh, you know, video evidence is no good anymore. So, you know, when you have credible witnesses, that makes it a little bit, you know, harder to debunk, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And especially a news person, because, um, first of all, they're credible people that people take mm -hmm. serious. And... They actually are, are putting their neck out there. I mean, it's risky for a news person right. to, to stand by something like this. It's just as easy for them career to say, oh, I, I, yeah, career it was a balloon. Whereas if they're, you know, he's standing by his guns and saying, no, those weren't balloons. This does not explain what I saw. You know, he opens himself up to ridicule and uh, right. possibly thinking, you know, he's not a credible person. So really hats off to this guy um, for, for sticking by it. In fact, I'm going to look up his name so we can kind of say what a cool dude he is. But, give uh, him props. <laughs> yeah, give him some props. Matt the, Renault. Matt, what is it, name. Matt Renault? Yep. Matt Renault, props to you. Props to Renault. Renault <laughs> knows. Now, there's a story here on uh, on Open Minds, Alejandro. Uh, astro astrobiologists say proof of extraterrestrial life is abundant. And you wrote this article. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this real quick. Is uh, this is like a, one of those things that is like, duh, no brainer. This is awesome. Um, proof, though, is a big word, as you know, oh, yeah. in science, uh, oh, as boy. opposed to evidence. Yeah. 
But you know what? There are a group of scientists. Um, they are mostly centered in the UK. They're at, out of the University of Shelf, Sheffield and also the University of Buckingham, and they have a center for astrobiology there. And that's where this group of scientists come from. Now, these scientists have been saying this very thing for actually years. In fact, uh, they really came out with this bold of a statement about a year ago regarding some uh, evidence they found in a meteorite in Sri Lanka. Um, this group also fills the other Mars meteorite that Bill Clinton came out and said, you know, we found ET life, that whole thing, uh, because of right. microbes found in the meteorite. They still stand by that those were um, extraterrestrial uh, microorganisms. So the hard part is, is once the meteorite, meteorite touches the ground, most scientists say, well, then it's contaminated and you can't prove definitively that it is off-planet. Now, these guys feel that they have proven that because what they have discovered is not uh, organisms from this Earth. However, these new findings are a little different. We actually wrote about this a year ago because what they did was they sent a balloon up into the stratosphere and supposedly there's supposed to be nothing from the Earth that can reach the stratosphere on its own. Right. Uh, right. Then the balloon had a little compartment that opens up and there's these sterile um, um, plates that uh, are just exposed for a period of time and then it closes up and uh, those are then put back into a sterile environment that can't be affected. Then they drop to the ground. They did this during the Perseid meteor shower. That's because these guys feel that, you know, meteorites are carrying around um, microorganisms. Essentially, they believe in, and in fact, one of the guys who, who is part of this team really invented the term panspermia, which is the idea right. that life is abundant in the universe and that mm -hmm. travels from planet to planet via meteorites and asteroids. So they feel like when meteorites break up in the atmosphere, like the, the Perseids meteor shower, then it, literally these things are raining down on our planet. Sure enough, they found things in this that are strange. Now, what has happened now for them to say this again and do more interviews is that they have found more evidence um, that there's life because what they found were some oh. microorganisms. Some okay. people had said, well, maybe winds or volcanic eruptions brought those up into the stratosphere. They argued that it's physically impossible, um, but people were still skeptical. But they found more evidence now because what they have found is the only thing in these tests were microorganisms. They argue that if this was wind that or volcanic eruptions, we would have volcanic dust, we would have uh, regular dust, we right. would have a yeah. bunch of stuff. You would think, stuff. yeah, you'd find all kinds of stuff up there. Yeah. Right, exactly. And they're saying, so somehow those other things got filtered out and all that's left <laughs> are these microorganisms. Plus, they argue that these organisms we found are nowhere found on this planet. So they say their evidence is even tighter that uh, these things they found in the stratosphere came from up, not down. Uh, they also referenced the recent um, announcement by Russian scientists that they found sea plankton on the ISS, another bacterial sea plankton, so real small stuff. Right. But uh, 
We haven't heard more from the Russians on this for details, but they're arguing that that is completely possible. And if there are sea plankton that were alive up there, uh, that uh, they couldn't have come from Earth because the ISS is 200 miles up, and that also is too far for any sort of wind to blow something up there. So uh, really interesting stuff. We had one of these guys, Richard Mm. Hoover, who worked for NASA for like over 40 years at our International UFO Congress last year. And he talked about how he definitively says he has proof of extraterrestrial life in the form of microorganisms in meteorites. And he even says that there was one instance where NASA destroyed evidence uh, of, and it was just kind of an ornery goofball uh, guy who he says was uh, was uh, uneducated in really what he was doing. And uh, because of uh, a misstep or, or just a bad decision on his part, you know, uh, evidence of extraterrestrial life was destroyed. But he talks about that in an interview uh, that uh, Lee Spiegel did with him for Open Minds, and we have a YouTube video of that. Um, that's gotten something like 100,000 hits, so it's gotten a nice. lot of hits. Uh, yeah, but those, that's also embedded in my story. So what's great about our story, I think, is we gave a lot more of a history of this whole thing beyond this recent interview that... Uh, one of these scientists did for the uh, Daily Express in the U.K., which kind of uh, uh, restarted up this whole debate again. Well, let me ask you, uh, what are the chances that some of the stuff that uh, they're finding are, you know, earthly based uh, from different missions that we've sent over the years? Just because, you know, extremophiles could somehow maybe survive in space. I mean, I could kind of see that. Uh, being a possibility. Well, they say that they we've, have we've littered that. space like crazy. I mean, we've littered. There's junk all over, you know, yeah. right around the Earth that we've put there. So, well, one argument against that would be uh, that you know this. They call it a dragon particle. This thing that they're discussing now is unearthly. You don't find it on Earth. So that would be one argument against that. Otherwise. Um, Supposedly, you know, I think there's factors when it comes to the sterilization of these things. Satellites and everything are kept extremely sterile because they don't want dust or anything on there that could um, get in the way of, uh, of uh, you know, the, me- the mechanisms on the satellite or, or the lenses in many cases. So they keep these things typically very sterile as far as dust particles and things like that. But... Uh, on the ISS, it's, it's possible, you know. But mistakes was, could happen, though. I mean, maybe uh, they, they're, they're yeah. very careful and they just, you know, miss the spot. But, I mean, at the rate at which these things are up there in the stratosphere that they've discovered is pretty high. And yeah. that's, like they say, most likely due to uh, the, the Perseid meteor shower being at the same time, which is the whole reason they did it at that time. Hmm. You know, I'm actually so, a, a very big believer of pamspermia. I've talked about it on the shows before. And, it makes uh, I, sense. It makes yeah, it does. sense. It really does. I mean, uh, it makes sense that life yeah. is, uh, you know, abundant everywhere because the siege of, of life is crashing into planets all over the place simultaneously, and it's just happening on a constant basis. Uh, I think right. there was a, an episode of Doctor Who when somebody uttered the line that, uh, you know, the universe will always find a way to create life out of nothingness because that's what its purpose yeah. is. I think there, there was something like that on Jurassic Park, too. Could have been. Life will always find a way. But, um, 
you know, we had an astrophysicist I had uh, that I talked to on the show once, and he made a great point in that we have not discovered the origins of life on Earth. In other words, mm. we don't know where life comes from. We don't, yeah. We have, we have not no seen yeah. it reproduced on Earth. And some people argue that since we have not seen it reproduced or evidence of it igniting here on Earth, that's just a stronger argument that it came from somewhere else. Well, I tend to believe Fair. that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it does make sense. And then, you know, if that's the case, I just, you know, think that these guys are getting really close to proving this. And if and when they do, I think that's a big deal because people are going to be like, then you will no longer, except for the mm. real fundamentalists, you will no longer be able to say uh, there is no life out there. And if there's a life out there and it's abundant, as abundant as floating around in space mm-hmm. or even on Mars, then, mm-hmm. you know, it just makes it much more realistic that there are, you know, many, many no, civilizations out there and, as well. And check this out, Alejandro. Uh, this is the, the best part of this whole thing. Uh, if panspermia is really uh, proven and if it, this is really how life is seeded in the universe, this also explains one major question that we have in ufology. Why do the aliens look like us? Why are they humanoid? Yeah, that's a good point. You know what? And there's a story that was done recently by a, um, I can't remember who did it. I think it was an astrobiologist or something like that, where he went over the different types of alien creatures and the likelihood of them looking like something. And he actually said it's not too strange that things on other planets would look like us because especially if they had similar gravity and, and similar, because the only example we know is, is things that have, you know, look similar. And even if you look at the animals in Australia, some of those marsupials are pretty weird, but they look somewhat similar to, um, you know, animals in places that are totally uh, separate from them or the Galapagos or any of these places where animals kind of grew up on their own and developed on their own Mm. outside of other environments. They don't look too different, especially something like birds or something. So, um, yeah, you know, it's entirely possible. No, who's not to say that maybe the the genome destiny is to create life until it gets to the level that it looks humanoid because that's the shape and and look that it needs to create intelligent life. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. there could be all kinds of planets out there with all kinds of uh, different types of life like we have here on Earth. But with a humanoid being on there, just like we have here on Earth, that is their intelligent life. That's very right. possible. That's very Star Trek-ish also, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of, uh, you were talking about Travis Walton. It makes me think of mm. his buddies on the craft. Uh, you know, those blonde uh, people that were jacked around with him out there. The Nordics, yeah, indeed. Alejandro, yeah. We're, we're almost out of time here. It's always fun to have you on. Thank you for being yeah. on uh, this time on the show and spending your time with us. And now this is going to be something that we're going to be doing with Alejandro on a very uh, periodic basis. He's going to be joining us and giving us the open minds news for the month or the week. And uh, it's always going to be uh, it's, always, it's always fun having you on here. It really is. Yeah, it's always fun being on here, buddy. Guys, we're going to be right back in a few minutes with the guest of the evening, Mr. Aaron. Judkins. He's no stranger to uh, Dark Matter Radio Network. He's been on this network many times. 
Interesting fellow. We're going to be right back. Alejandro, thanks again, my friend. We'll be right back, everybody. Yep, thank you. documentary producer, investigator, and a co-host of Unknown Origins Radio, which airs each Thursday evening from 8 till 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Please join me and my colleagues, Mark Johnson and Lauren DePinto, for two hours of thought-provoking interviews discussing some of today's most intriguing subjects and personalities. If you've been searching for a cutting-edge investigative radio show which strives to raise the bar in investigative talk radio, why not check out Unknown Origins Radio right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'd love to add you as a new member of the Unknown Origins Radio family. Now don't forget, everybody, to catch Future Theater live every Monday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Hi, Caramba. Burns, and we are broadcasting live on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Breaking the walls down. This is radio. This is what people want. To download the podcast, make sure you go to www.futuretheater.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. You're listening to the Dark Matter Radio Network. 
right, everybody, welcome back to Sky Watchers Radio on Dark Matter Radio Network and, of course, PSN Radio. And I want to ask everybody to please have a nice sit down right now. If you're standing up, if you're running around, sit down, turn the radio up, listen in. We're going to have a lot of fun with our guest, Mr. Aaron Judkins, a.k.a. Maverick. He's an author, explorer, and an archaeologist. From Texas. Don't mess with Texas. He has a passion for searching for the truth about the mysteries of the past and exposing forbidden history. Aaron, this is way long overdue, but welcome to Sky Watchers Radio, my friend. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're right. It is way overdue. (laughs) And if if your audience only knew how overdue it is, maybe we should tell them. If they had an inkling or an idea of how long I've been trying to have you on this show, it would probably drive a lot of them to send you hate mail. So I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of defensive uh, fans of this show, Aaron. You just don't know. We call them the, the Squash Nuts, by the way. That's the name of our group, Squash Nuts. Love you guys. They get defensive, so I don't want to have them send you any hate mail. But this man right here has been eluding us like the president of the United States. But it is so much fun <laughs> to finally have you on the show. <laughs> I'm so glad to be on with you uh, on the show. You know, it's it's uh, it's quite odd that my schedule has been so uh, so erratic over the last six months. Um, and every time we try to sync our schedules up, it just doesn't work out, and um, and I've got a very narrow window in my schedule these days, um, and and it is, uh, uh, you know, it, it, and it really bothered me because I had the last time I talked to you, I had to tell you, I said, I am not, I'm not doing this on purpose. I promise, <laughs> I promise. Uh, so anyway, it's really great, great to be on this show tonight with you. And some of you listening might recognize the voice. You, of course, are a guest radio host for Epic Voyages Radio on uh, Inception Radio and, of course, uh, plays here on Dark Matter Radio Network. That's right. It uh, plays right here on Dark Matter on Friday nights. uh, Epic Voyages Radio, um, Friday nights on Dark Matter Radio Network. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun, I have to tell you. Um, I don't do radio full-time. I do it, as you said, as a... As a guest host, I rotate through the uh, through that schedule about once a month. I go on the program, but I absolutely love it. It is so much fun. I get to do what you guys do all the time, mm. and um, I really have a blast doing it. It's it's a lot of fun, and I'm so glad for Keith um, for having us on the Dark Matter Radio Network. And um, you know, the audience has been uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and the listeners uh, have been very responsive uh, to the show, and I know to your show as well. And so I'm glad to, you know, get out and um, and and finally get on uh, your program uh, tonight with you. So so what a what an honor. Now we're gonna talk about a lot of different things. Uh, one thing I definitely wanted to bring up is uh, your research in biblical uh, archaeology, which is uh, always something fascinating to me. And um, and we're going to talk about you know of course ufology. Don't worry about it. don't worry, folks. We're going to touch on ufology a lot. Absolutely. Uh, but I want to first uh, you know go into your background a little bit. And so for the, for the listeners who are not too familiar with your history, uh, give a brief description of what you've done in the past besides Epic Voyages. It's a great show, by the way. Oh well, thanks. Um, you know, 
Wow. I, I wear so many hats yes, you in, do. in my life. <laughs> uh, you know, when people ask me what I do, I have to tell them, you know, what day is it? Because it depends on what day it is, is what I'm doing. Um, uh, you know, basically, I I started out with a real passion for just for history and archaeology and learning. And... Um, um, and I just love to go to museums. I'd love to, to just learn everything I could about ancient civilizations, uh, Near Eastern archaeology, biblical archaeology. And I just, you know, the Native Americans here, America Southwest, I love it all. I mean, I do. I, I, I'll study it all. I don't know it all, but I love to study it all. <laughs> and, um, and, and because of that, that, you know, that led me to schedule my vacations around going to museums and going out, mm. you know, to sites and, and things that, you know, um, were just a lot of learning fun, uh, on, on site, not from a book. Although I love books. I, I, I do read quite a bit. I've probably read a thousand books in my life so far. And I've got, um, a library full of books in my office. Um, but it's a different thing to go out into the field or just to go out and learn about those things. And, and so for me, that, that was just a tremendous thing to go do, but it was very limited for me. Um, and then my life kind of took a direction where I pursued a different field in the medical field for, for many years um, and currently still do. Um, and that's why I say I wear many hats uh, because – I do so many different things, um, but the the medical field was something that kind of was my bread and butter. It always provided me, you know, the opportunity to kind of self-fund myself and go out and do the things that I really was passionate about, and that was history and archaeology. And uh, I really give my grandparents credit for that because they were old rock hounds and, and you know, I really got an appreciation for just going out and looking for rocks and and uh that led into arrowheads and and you know so I had an early interest in my life about these things and uh you know when I was when I was about 16 I was out uh with a friend of mine we was on uh, a large ranch in the uh Texas panhandle and there was a huge cliff and there was a kind of a dry stream bed and we were walking through there and, and I saw this huge bone laying on the ground. I ran over to it and I picked it up and it was huge. And I said, look at this bone. I pulled it out of the sand. And, um, the person that was with me said that, I think that's a bison bone. I said, what? A buffalo? Are you saying buffalo bone? And, 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 and the, the thing was a huge buffalo bone. What we know is a, is a bison bone. And my friend said, yeah, my dad, who was a foreman on that ranch, a cowboy foreman, said this is a cliff where the Indians used to run off the buffalo and then they would, you know, they would, you know, uh, slaughter them and, you know, they would use them to survive, for, right. obviously for meat and for tool making. And they used everything on that thing. But right. here, was, yeah. here was a bone. And I pulled this bone up and I was looking at it and I turned around and Sticking out of the cliff was an occipital part of a skull. The occipital oh, wow. part is the back part of your skull, and it was a human skull. 
And I immediately dropped the bison femur that was in my hands. <laughs> and I'm staring at this, and I said, look at this thing. This is this is a skull. It's a human skull. And so I was, you know, at 16, I'm looking for the nearest stick. I'm digging this thing out, you know. <laughs> this, this thing's going home with me. And um, my friend said, no, we should leave it. We should go tell my dad. And so in hindsight, that was great wisdom. Mm, um, and uh, and so we did. I, I ended up dropping my stick and, you know, retreated in, in defeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I wanted that that skull, but turns out that was a very important find. Later, the archaeologist uh, from the university came out and documented a whole new find they didn't know was there, and it allowed the Native Americans to come huh. out and um, and and basically uh, confirm the site, and then you know, of course, uh, they were able to to make the final decision on what happened to it, and they and. Uh, and you know they 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 gained a lot of important knowledge from that site, but they left the human bones where they were, and that's exactly what you know what they did, and that was the right, right. thing to do. Yeah. So, um, and I didn't know the end of that story for a long time uh, later on in life, but um, but that led into a lot of um, a lot of searching about what the mysteries of the past are, and when I began to go into the field and study formally and academically in archaeology and then went out in the field, I realized that there was a lot of um, evidence, a lot of empirical evidence that wasn't matching up to what I had been taught. And that really uh, led me to question, why had I never heard about some of these things? Why was it that I was learning about this for the first time in the basements uh, and you know of artifacts and and you know people's homes and hey come over here we found something over here check this out or have you heard about this you know hey I've got something have you read about this and I'm thinking no I haven't seen any of this what is this stuff and so um, uh, you know I think for the first time it really I think it really the whole thing came to light when Michael Creamer wrote the book uh, and co-authored the book uh, Forbidden Archaeology, blew the lid off the thing. And I'm thinking, whoa. I mean, it, it just, my mind, it blew my it mind. It all made right? sense. It just, it just clicked. It, it did. And, yeah. and I'm thinking, this is why I'm seeing some of this stuff in my own research. And, and so it really resonated with me why was this not being taught in mainstream archaeology? Why wasn't this being discussed? How come it was being tabled hmm. and, and, um, and, and ignored in, in the realms of academia? And after, you know, some um, inquiry into, into some of these questions in the realms of academia, I realized very quickly that they have no interest in it. And I was basically told, leave it alone. Um, and I ran into stories of people, of geologists, of good scientists uh, who came across things that just simply cut against the grain of, of everything that we know. And they've had their careers destroyed. They've had their reputations destroyed. Character assassinations. Um, 
I mean, and it's true. It, it's not something that is. Uh, no, does that still happen today, though? Or I mean, yeah, I understand fifty, today, sixty yeah. years ago. Because I mean, no, fifty, I'm sixty years ago, today. I understand, but it still no, happens. This, yes, this is still happening. I mean, hmm. there, there's, there's, you know, people who have come out in, you know, in, in the face of of academia and said, "Wait a minute, why aren't we being? Why aren't we having this discussion?" and I, I'll give you a good example because I can say, you know, this is happening today. Right. Let me give you a good example. Um, this this isn't really in the realm of archaeology, but it touches in the it touches on it. It's in it's in the field of paleontology. Mm, okay. Let me let me let me give you a, a, a prime example of this. It's happened just just uh, years ago. Dr. Mary Schweitzer um, was a, a a scientist and still is, um, and um, she worked for um, Jack Horner. He's a very famous paleontologist. Jack Horner has um, uh, studied dinosaurs and, and, and dinosaur bones, and, and so he's, he's very well known. And, and I've dug up a lot of dinosaurs in my time, um, at least 15 different dinosaurs. I've, I've been on many excavations, a couple of woolly mammoths and a big talosaur. Uh, I've directed two excavations, one in Montana, one in Colorado, um, so I know about dinosaurs. I've dug them up out of the ground, and it's hard work, actually, uh, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and um, Mary Schweitzer decided to slice open a, a, a bone, a dinosaur bone, and she wanted, to, she wanted to know what was inside that dinosaur bone. And basically, you know, it... She, she took a very thin slice of this thing, and she put it under solution and 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 looked under under an electron microscope. And what she realized was that there was still soft tissue in that bone. There was huh. um, there was pliable tissue. There was red blood cells, and there was still elasticity to that. Oh, and, really. Uh, yeah, and so uh, what does she do? Well, she did what any good scientist would do. She would she followed the scientific method, and right. you know you go through stages. You you know you predict the experiment, you repeat it, you observe it, you test it, and more importantly, you try to falsify the thing. And so she she repeated uh, the experiment, and she got the very similar results. And she repeated the experiment. And she repeated it, and she repeated it, I'm talking 20, 20 times at least, and got the same result, fresh, um, uh, pliable tissue. In other words, inside a 65-million-year-old dinosaur bone, it wasn't totally fossilized. Huh. There was still soft uh, tissue in there, and there was red blood cells that was still visible under electron huh. microscope. That's this amazing. is one example of something that the empirical level coming out and saying, "Okay, this this is not totally fossilized after 65 million years. It should be." <laughs> right. And the question is why. And so when she came out with her results, it rocked the paleontology community. I mean, it rocked it, turned the boat upside down, right? And they're scratching their heads. They're saying, we, we don't know. We don't have a good answer for this. But 
you know, it's going to change everything we know. And and so she basically had a peer-reviewed published paper on the thing, and then they realized, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, um, because this is going to change really what we've been teaching. This is going to change the fact that maybe maybe these dinosaurs didn't die the way we think they died. Maybe they're not 65 million years old. And if they're 65 huh. million years old, why aren't they totally fossilized? Why are we seeing fresh tissue, red right. blood cells in this thing? And because of that, they put a lot of pressure on Dr. Schweitzer, a lot of pressure to pull um, and recant her research. Not just hmm. not just her story, her research. That's and because sad. of this, they 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 basically gave her an ultimatum. Um, you pull it, and and we're not talking about this again, or um, you're done. And she held out as long as she could. In the end, she she recanted, and she gave up the research on it. And it's it's it, it's 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 tucked away. It's gone. They're not doing it anymore. We thought, you know what? If that's true in one dinosaur bone, it's got to be true in another dinosaur bone somewhere. And so, while we were on the excavation in Montana, we called Jack Corner, and we said, "Look, you know, we 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 know what you guys found over there, and and we know you don't like the result. But look, let's let's let us offer you something." Let's do a double-blind study. Let's take our dinosaur bone in Montana, and you pick a dinosaur bone in your laboratory. We're going to do a double-blind study. We're going to see if we can match the results or if we get totally different results, and maybe maybe we get something different. But let's repeat the thing under a double-blind study. Let's see what this goes. You know, let's see where this goes. Jack Horner refused, and. Well, we said, why? Why would you refuse, you know, to to just repeat the experiment, double-blind study, objectively send it off, and let's compare results. Wouldn't do it. And we said, look, there's people who really want to see this done. And an offer was made, not by us, but by an independent third party, who said, look, we're going to offer you and we're prepared to write you a $10,000 check for your research if you would do it and see what the results are you know what the results are going to be he refused so it tells me that he's not worried about the money obviously he's scared about the results of the research right and he didn't do it and wouldn't allow it to be done hmm. we went ahead and did our own experiment on our dinosaur bone and send it off, and we came up with very similar results that Dr. Mary Schweitzer did, and that that dinosaur bone wasn't totally fossilized after, you know, all these, you know, 65 millions of years. There was pliable tissue that was elastic in red blood cells, and you have to ask the question now, scientifically, you should ask, why are we seeing this? Because the results are there. The results isn't lying. The results are, are saying, hey, here's another independent source. 
but what are we going to do with this information? Unfortunately, the information got got squelched, and um, and now it's 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 not talked about. That's one example. There's there's many more examples of findings in archaeology, paleontology, geology um, that never get to the to the light of the public at all because it cuts against the grain of everything that we've ever been taught right. about life origins. And that, to them, um, I don't know if it's scary or if it's, if it's um, you know, taboo. I, I really don't understand why they won't allow that to come out, but, but they don't. So it takes archaeologists like myself and others in the field who are outside of that system to raise the red flag and say, if you're not going to discuss it, if you're not going to go investigate it, if you're not going to look at it, if you're not willing to talk about it, we are. And that's what I do. It doesn't shock me, though, that stuff like that would happen. Um, You know, science has always had that issue, though, Aaron. Uh, look at what Galileo went through, you know, years and years and years ago. And he was like the, the father of modern science, and, I mean, he didn't have it easy either. So uh, it doesn't shock me that, you know, all across the board, science is like that. It, it, you know, you would think for scientists who are supposed to be the smartest people on the planet, sometimes they really are kind of behind the curve when it comes to evolution evolution, and some of the these things, that, you know, the, the, these discoveries. Uh, but, you know, let's jump onto something that is a little bit more ufological. Has there been any cases within the UFO community of archaeologists finding stuff uh, that has been suppressed? Um, findings in the UFO community from the, an archaeological perspective. Any, anything you might know of? Um, not offhand. I, I would say that there is research going on um uh in in Peru and Bolivia that um some suggest that there's archaeological research or um uh, artifacts suggesting that there's UFO interference um or or um uh prior visitations or or whatever in the past um I think there's some some pretty intriguing evidence. I don't know that we can say for sure what the origin of all this is, if it's UFO intervention. You know, but in 2011, I wrote a, I co-authored a book called Alien Agenda, The Return of the Nephilim. Yes. And um, um, I debuted that book on um, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. And... Um, and out in Roswell, New Mexico in 2011, where I met uh, some of the greats, Stan, uh, Stan Freeman and Travis Walton and, and a number of others. And, um, you know, in that book, I really talk about um, the archaeology findings of a lot of the past and, and why they're very puzzling. And for me, as an archaeologist, why I would be interested in UFOs, well, is is a little bit of um, of kind of an interesting story for me. It, it all started for me uh, in 2008 with the Stephenville Lights, what I call the Stephenville Glen Rose sighting. We know it as the Stephenville Lights, more commonly, right. and that hit. Uh, 
just near where I live in 2008. As a matter of fact, on that very night, I was driving um, uh, 20, 20 minutes prior to that sighting on that particular highway. Hmm. Um, now, I didn't see anything, but later, after I got to my destination, I heard reports about uh, that sighting. And um, it, it became somewhat of, of a intriguing thing for me because this was not just your you know your your average show saying yeah it's outside and I you know <laughs> you know we saw some moonshine yeah <laughs> you know it, it wasn't that kind of report it right. was you know the police officer of Stephenville it mm. was the mayor of Stephenville it was the postmaster it was pretty credible witnesses right. here that was saying, hey, we saw something. Um, a pilot of 30 years, uh, Steve Allen, said, I saw something. And very credible witnesses. And that really led me on to this journey of, what, what is this thing about? Why was it near a nuclear plant in Glen Rose, Texas? And why was it being chased by F-16s out of Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas that night? who the U.S. Air Force for 10 days denied that they had any aircraft in that area. But 10 days later said, oh, you know, well, we did. We did have a training exercise going on out there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, um, we, you know, but we, we forgot to tell you, but, yeah, we did. Really, and, and it's interesting because at the time they released the um, Freedom of – through the Freedom of Information Act – the radar reports from Carswell Air Force Base, and uh, and we have those, and it shows F-16s chasing an unknown, unidentified flying object that's traveling. They estimate at least eighteen hundred miles an hour, and these jets can't even catch it. I mean, it's eluding them left and right. And I've seen the radar images. I've seen the thing. And the witnesses describe an object flying past them and then F-16s low and flying hard. Um, and Steve Allen has testified to that. Uh, as, now, as how, well how, as much, how much do you think of this, uh, Aaron, though, is uh, actual extraterrestrial uh, crass, or how much of it do you think is our own back-engineered crass, or just original stuff that we might have engineered ourselves? I don't think we would be chasing our own craft if it was going... Number one, we couldn't go that fast. Not turn right angles. There's no way. You can't do that. It, de it was defying the laws of physics, for God's sakes. I mean, there's no, there's no technology we have that can do that. Number one, a human couldn't survive that that's why. That's well, why yeah, but that we're th you're not thinking outside the box. We're, we're talking about uh, a government that has uh, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars laundered into the black budget projects that it probably does have. Sure, yeah. Uh, who, who is not to say they've uncovered some form of freaky technology 
It well, really had no alien intervention, just uh, years and years of billions going into these programs and getting the right minds to create some of this stuff. Now, I do think, though, Aaron, that we have back-engineered some stuff. I do believe there have been recoveries of genuine UFOs, uh, alien aircrafts, or whatever you want to call them. I do believe that, but here's the thing. I don't think there are as many flying around as you know the the population will have you believe. Uh, while I do think some sightings are real, and usually, and actually what you said makes a lot of sense, the, the, you know, these credible witnesses, that's where I think it gets, you know, to the point where oh, those are the cases that I'm like, okay, that's more credible to me, when you have witnesses that you can look at and you're like, okay, there's a police officer, a doctor, a lawyer, people that, you know, wouldn't lie about this kind of stuff. Uh, those are credible cases, or a little bit more credible to me. Uh, but again, I, don't, I still have a hard time saying that it's always aliens. You know well, I mean? we just don't know. I'm not saying we it's just don't know either. exactly. Yeah, I'm saying it's know. unidentified, and it was flying. I, now, right. I didn't see it, but but that event led me on to to search. What was that? And, and don't blame and, me. Yeah. And and why are people seeing the thing? And listen, I have to mm. tell you real quick. The reason it really prompted me in my interest is because when I was 17, uh, I saw something that I couldn't explain. I was with three of my high school buddies. It was I wasn't by myself. We were um, on a we were out for summer break. I was going into my senior year of high school, and it was about midnight. And we saw this red light dart across the sky. At first, it was floating, very slow, very low on the horizon. A red ball of light, no flashing lights, no nothing, no sound either. My friend Mark, who was standing right next to me, he was a year older than me. This was his last, um, uh, I think he was, a, uh, I think he was a grade older than me. At any rate, he was, he was an aspiring air force pilot. He was going to be, you know, he loved air airplanes, air force. He was going to the air force Academy. I mean, he knew everything there was to know about this stuff. And he said, that's not, that's not a, an airplane. And I said, well, because I just dismissed it. He said, no, look, it doesn't have any flashing lights. It's going very slow, and there's no sound. And when he started pointing out the inconsistencies of it, then I took a double take and started to look at this thing. We called our other friends back, and we said, hey, look at this. And we all stood there, walked up to the fence on this pasture road, staring at this thing. And the thing took off like you wouldn't believe. All kinds of zigzag motions. I talk about this in the book that I wrote, Alien Agenda, The Return of the Nephilim. And um, and it did something very odd after that. It uh, it, it faded um, it faded to black, <laughs> if I can use that. Or, you <laughs> Shout know, outs to Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, but that's what it did. It, it, it faded away. And it disappeared from view, and um, and so uh, we were questioning ourselves: Where did this thing go? What I mean, what did we just see? Where did it go? And then it came back, and it reappeared in the air, and then it did all kinds of crazy things again. And I got the wild idea out of the bunch, and um, you know, let's go chase it. Let's go. Let's get in the truck. Yeah, that didn't work out. That didn't work out too well for Travis. Let me tell you, that didn't work out too well for Travis Walton <laughs> going um, after the UFO. And and you know, and so so for me, we never got an answer for what that thing was. But um, 
But you know, I I think there's there's interesting things out there we don't know, you know, a lot of how they did things, the ancients. We don't know what exactly happened back in those days. I can tell you I've traveled the world. I was in Peru back in January with LA Marzuli and um and we went into Bolivia. Uh we filmed Watchers Eight down there. Right. Uh, L.A. had me study those elongated skulls down there. Uh, that book is coming out, by the way, and my report's going to be in it on those skulls. It ought to be out in just weeks. But I well, wrote give, a can you, can you give us a teaser? Uh, I don't want to give spoilers. Well, obviously, I want the people to check out the report, but uh, give us a little teaser on the report. Well, you know, we went down there and studied the, those Paracas elongated skulls. Um, they're they're intriguing. They're very interesting. Um, scientifically, uh, we know culturally that they performed uh, cradle head mourning. The right. Paracas culture did. The Incas right. didn't do it, but the Paracas culture, which is pre-Inca, did that. Right. We don't know why. Um, one of the theories is is that they were emulating something that they saw, hmm. which now would lend to the fact that if you believe in those 200 watcher angels that came down on Mount Hermon and intervened in the affairs of mankind, um, then that would tend to make sense because now we're seeing things in archaeology, we're seeing things um, in, in culturally coming up through the ages that clearly show that there was some kind of intervention Right. Um, into mankind's affairs. Was this an outside agency? Some people say alien. I say fallen angels. Well, how do you make the distinction, though, Aaron, uh, from aliens and, and fallen angels? Well, uh, you know, this is something actually I've talked about on the show here where, I, uh, you know, I've mentioned that in the past, uh, hundreds of years ago, it's easy to mistake uh, aliens for demons, ghosts, goblins, angels, yeah. uh, because they didn't know the term alien or what aliens right. were. And the mere definition of uh, of angels or, or God, for example, uh, you know, God is not of this earth, right? Angels are not from this earth. So their mere definition of what they are is they're extraterrestrial in nature. Uh, now, how much of that is, you know, biblical and no, otherworldly, or, or how much of it is it yeah. physical alien beings that we've just mistaken for these saints or, or deities? Well, I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. There's a, there's a distinction that needs to be made mm -hmm. uh, because the definition of alien has changed. I think over the years, um, when I say alien, I'm saying a foreign outside agency. I'm not saying alien as in extraterrestrial necessarily. Extraterrestrial means a terrestrial creature um, from a different planet or whatever, not from this Earth. Right, I a, a creature outside of this terrestrial plane. Right, Anything, I don't yeah. think that they're terrestrial or extraterrestrial. I think they're spiritual. I think they're the fallen angels that was talked about in the book of Enoch. However, having said that, and I talk about all this in the book if you're interested, but look, having said that, those fallen watchers who were not extraterrestrial but spiritual in nature could transform themselves into physicality, and they could do it at will, 
and then they could go back. And I think that's what we're seeing in the UFO phenomenon because it's outside of our time domain. It's outside of our length, height, width, and time, which is the fourth dimension. Scientists and string theorists now uh, propose that there's at least ten dimensions. Four of those right. are knowable. I just talked about that. Six are not right. knowable. And that gets into Dr. Michio Kaku stuff, which yes. I quantum, you know, uh, <laughs> mechanics and physics, which I I find very fascinating. But it, it, I, I think they're able to do this, and I think that also explains the UFO phenomenon. Yeah, but here's here's, here's the thing, though: if they're if they're spiritual beings, if they're angels, if they're fallen angels, why would they need technology like UFOs? They spacecrafts? don't. Spacecrafts. They, they don't. don't right. They don't need it. What they're so doing? Why though, fly is, around? Why fly around in, in spacecrafts? I don't think that they're flying around in space, spacecrafts. I think that we're seeing a remnant of them breaking through into our time domain, and we're seeing the trails of that. Now, I think they can manifest physically when they want to, and they can manifest material things when they want to, i.e., crafts something that we could recognize, something that we could, um, we could, we could, um, um, basically we could, we could identify, we could um, latch onto and say, hey, that's something that's recognizable to us. I don't think they have to do that. I think what they're doing is toying with us in a way because they're very elusive. It's not like, hey, we landed, here we are, and, you know, there's no more deception. Everybody knows it's, it's, it's here. I, take the Travis Walton case. I mean, I asked the man. I met with him, and I said, Travis, if you could go back to that time, and knowing what you know now, would you have ever gotten out of your pickup? And he told me no. Why? Now, I... I think he's changed his answer since then, <laughs> but but he told me no, and he I told me the why. same thing. Yeah, <laughs> because what Travis went through was so terrible, was so traumatic that it changed his life forever. And you never hear about people coming back and going, you know what? It's such a great experience. I'm going to schedule my next vacation around that. <laughs> you don't hear well, I- you don't hear anyone saying that. You don't actually. That's very true, except for one guy, my good friend Phil Hill. He loves taking that ride. And there may be there may be another <laughs> one. You know, um, uh, uh, Phil Schreiber may be another one uh, that that <laughs> that really enjoys that. But you know, and I think there there are exceptions yeah. to the cases, but the majority of cases are very horrific. They're against their will. They're malevolent, and they're very very. Evil. See, my and, my thing though with uh, getting into the you know the spiritual aspect of where these beings could be, Aaron, uh, it, you know, it really boggles my mind why then they would experiment sexually on people, why cattle mutilations happen, uh, crop circles, you know, that's a legit thing or phenomenon. Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, because that's there's a lot of hoaxers in that as well. But you know, you know, why all these extra things that happen within the ufology field? If they're spiritual beings, why toy with us? See, none of that makes to me any sense. And even if they're spiritual beings, on the other side, wherever that other side is, they're physical on that side. 
Well, that's their terrestrial plane, wherever their that existing is. plane, sure. Right. Um, so why are they doing the, it? Yeah, it makes no I, sense to me. Well, you know, we try to answer that in the book. Um, in the end, listen, in the end, this is all gearing up for something big. Art Bell right. used to say the quickening. This is yes. gearing up yep. for something. Tonight, uh, we're, we're having a blood moon tonight. I don't know if you know anything about the blood moons. I don't oh, really yeah, know yeah. how much stock to put into the blood moons, to be honest with you. But let me tell you, there's stuff going on, and if and if you don't recognize it, and I'm sure that your listeners do, that's why we have alternative media, we have alternative archaeologists, we have people that are out there yelling and screaming from their rooftops. Um, and Art Bell started it for radio. Mm-hmm. Is, yes, he and did. he called it the quickening. Hey, look at Amy. Something's coming. And, and, and if you ask people that are, are dealing within the the realms of this thing, no matter what angle they're looking at, they all come down to a common theme. Something's coming down the road, and it may not be good. And that's the thing that really bothers me is, you know what? Maybe we need to wake up and prepare for what's coming down the road because it may not be good. And and that, for me, that's at least personally uh, something that I worry about. Not worry, but I just... It's always in the back of my mind. What What is the thing that's coming? I think I know. <laughs> I think I know what's coming. But look, you have to you have to find that thing for yourself. I wrote it in the book just because I thought, you know what? No one's really approaching it from this particular angle. And so I think it I think it would be good and and basically it started out as a research thing for my own for my own self. Uh, but no one really came out with that particular angle, and that's why the book really did well, um, because it's a different perspective. You may not agree with it, and a lot right. of people, you know, have have other um, other views. That's okay. I'm just saying, you know what? I may be wrong, but I may be right on some of these things too. Well, you know, it's funny because you say that something is coming, and you know, it's true. Art Bell, def- he definitely said that that he believed there was a quickening happening, and the veil was dropping, uh, were terms that he would use often. And uh, you know, it's funny because it, you could almost equate that to religious beliefs in the rapture, that you know that rapture is coming, that the end is coming, uh, that Jesus is coming back to take us away. Or now, since you know ufology and you the extraterrestrials are so popular, now as the aliens are coming. To save us, the aliens are going to intervene. The, you know, it, but it seems like it's always the same kind of story. Something is coming. Well, and and that's the common thread of the whole thing. Uh, right. Depending on your perspective and your religious point of view, if you hold one, uh, you may have a little bit different, you know, outtake on the thing. But look, I think they're all pointing to something, and um, I just think we need to be vigilant. I think we don't need to. We don't need to take this thing with a grain of salt I think we have to be very very careful um, as an archaeologist you know I love and, and going out and doing these things and, and you know exposing the truth um, hmm. I think we have to whatever you do whether it's digging up stuff in the field as an archaeologist whether it's you know investigating UFOs uh, Chase Kleski is a good friend of mine who went down to Peru with me and um, 
and you know she she's a, she's in the top of her field. Um, I think whatever it is that you do, I think you need to be vigilant, but have your guard yeah. up. Uh, have your guard up, and that's all I'm saying is we need to be very careful when we're mess. Don't mess around with stuff we don't understand, especially when it comes to these type of things that are well above us, well advanced in technology, well advanced in 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 knowledge. And I think that's how the ancients got a lot of their wisdom was through this forbidden knowledge that they got from these watchers. Can I prove it? No. But we see the evidence of it in archaeology. I mean, I was in Peru and Bolivia, and, you know, we don't even know how they built a lot of these megalithic structures. I mean, I was mm-hmm. at Tiwanaku in Bolivia. I was at Pumapunca. I was at uh, Soxiwaman in Peru. I was at Machu Picchu. I was at Olinton Tambo. And these are huge structures, huge um, uh, stones, oblique angles, 12-sided stones. Um, insane. How do they do it? Don't know. There's working theories on Puma Punku. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more with Aaron Judkins here. In fact, when we come back, we're going to talk about Puma Punku, because I'm going to ask you about a certain documentary and see if you've heard of this documentary and the work uh, that went into uh, kind of debunking some of this stuff, which is fascinating in itself. Guys, we're going to be right back on Skywatchers Radio. Stick around on Dark Matter Radio Network and PS. Listen to Podcast UFO at 9pm Eastern Standard Time. That's 1am UTC GMT each Wednesday evening. We take a look at our fascinating universe in our astronomy segment. And then host Martin Willis interviews guests on topics including UFO sightings, abductions and cover-ups. Guests are noted scientists, sighting witnesses, investigators and skeptics and have included Stan Friedman. Leslie Kane, Colby Landrum, Travis Walton, Dr. Seth Shostak, Robert Hastings, David Jacobs, and many more. You can even interact with our guests by joining the chat room live at podcastufo.com. So, see you this Wednesday at 9pm Eastern Standard on the Dark Matter Radio Network. And remember, in the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky. disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. 
might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just the thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Bruce Pearson, documentary producer, investigator, and a co-host of Unknown Origins Radio, which airs each Thursday evening from 8 till 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Please join me and my colleagues, Mark Johnson and Lauren DePinto, for two hours of thought-provoking interviews discussing some of today's most intriguing subjects and personalities. If you've been searching for a cutting-edge investigative radio show which strives to raise the bar in investigative talk radio, why not check out Unknown Origins Radio right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'd love to add you as a new member of the Unknown Origins Radio family. Remember, Future Theater can be heard every Monday night at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy, I, Karumba, Burns, and we are broadcasting live right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Breaking the walls down. This is radio. This is what people want. To download the podcast, make sure you go to www.futuretheater.com. Listening to the Dark Matter Radio Network. Matter Radio, we are back on Skywatchers Radio with our guest of the evening, Mr. Aaron Judkins, and we're talking about all kinds of scientific and biblical stuff right here on the show. But as we were going on break, we were weaving right into the area of conversation which I am really into these days, uh, the stuff uh, that deals with ancient aliens. As I mentioned earlier on the show, and I've talked about a couple times, we're going to have Michael Heiser on the show pretty soon. And I'm super excited about having him on. I know you briefly met him, um, Aaron, and uh, you know his work is very controversial to say the least. And not you know just because of the stuff that he talks about and the stuff that he's you know gone on record as trying to debunk and and putting out there. Uh, but he de- he deals with other people that are controversial as well, like Zachariah Sitchin's work. I mean, his work is extremely controversial. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was your take meeting Michael Heiser and some of the stuff that he's worked on? Well, I met him very briefly at a conference I was speaking at. Um, um, he he's he's got you know he's got some good work. I don't agree with everything, um, but but that's okay. Uh, his work on ancient aliens debunk I found very interesting. Um, 
I was in, as I said earlier, I was down in Peru and Bolivia, you know, and, and I was very familiar with, um, with the ancient alien theory of, of both of these places, uh, Tiwanaku, Pumapunka. And when I went in there, especially at Pumapunka, I'm looking for the seven, eight foot, you know, huge H blocks. Right. I'm looking for these things, and, and I'm not seeing them. I'm thinking, where's the seven foot, eight foot H blocks? You know, where are these things at? And I'm looking, and I realize that they're not seven, eight feet tall. They're waist high. Hmm. They're 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 small. I mean, I, I was like, what? This is it? This is it? This is H blocks? Giorgio's been lying to us. <laughs> Come on, man. Where's the huge H block? It's so TV gives you this huge perspective of these huge H-blocks coming down. They were levitated, and they were all interlocking in place. And, you know, I looked at that personally, and I realized they're not huge. They're waist-high. Um, they're inset cut, but they're not laser cut. I took a square with me, and I, I checked. They're not, they're not all identical, like they're, they're in a factory, and they've all been laser cut, and they're all identical. They're not right. like that. They're they're all just a little bit individually unique, very similar, I would have to say. They are very similar, but they're not identical similar. They're 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 close, but it doesn't mean that they're laser cut. And and look, I took some of that andesite stone and 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 it's you know, it's not something that is impossible to do that with back I think for that time period. Now, how did they do it exactly? Don't know. Um, I think Dr. Heiser brings some good points mm -hmm. um, because, look, in science you have to be you have to be scientific and you have to say, okay, according to Ogman's razor principle, right. what's the most simplest explanation for this? And when you go back to the most simplest explanation, knowing what we know about the culture and finding some of the things we found there, you have to, at least according to Dr. Heiser, say maybe this isn't laser cut after all. Maybe there's a simpler explanation for this. I really like that idea because we tend to overlook the simple and go straight for the, oh my God. Extraterrestrials. It's laser cut. <laughs> And you know, I didn't a, see that a lot of that time. stuff, though, a lot of that stuff goes uh, comes from Eric Van Daniken's uh, books, and and uh, that's where a lot of these theories really come from, Aaron. Well, you know, look, my, I've never met uh, Eric Van Daniken. I, I know people who know him. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's uh, put out there. I do think he's made some valid points on some things, and he definitely. Open the door to, you know, talking about this. I right. I think that's I think that's commendable that that he did that. It doesn't mean I, that I agree with it. But personally, having been down there and researching this, it's uh, you know you realize in reality when you get there, it's not like you see on the TV, and it's a very simplistic site. Matter of fact, Puma Punka is a pretty small site compared to Tiwanaku. And the other thing I thought was kind of fascinating was is that they're just a couple of miles apart from each other. Right. 
I didn't know that until I got there. No, it was here. Puma Puka is just right down the road. Matter of fact, I walked from Puma Puka into town of Tiwanaku <laughs> from that side um, because there was no room on the bus for me. <laughs> and um, and so I just walked into town. And uh, so Puma Puka is a, relatively a small site. It's a nice place. I mean, when I say nice, it's not nice like here in North America. It's not, nice. Yeah, it's, it's not like the big city. Yeah, it's it, it, big it's, city. You know, you're in Bolivia, okay? It's, uh, yeah. it, but it's a very neat country, uh, culturally rich. I loved it. I really did. I want to go back. Peru, the same thing. Culturally rich, lots of history. Um, it, it's very fascinating. I went all over the country. I stayed a month. And um, I really want to go back because you just can't learn it all in one trip. But, look, I, you know, I went down there to study those elongated skulls. This report that I'm writing for L.A. Marzulli is going to be out uh, at his book very soon. It's, it's going to be called On the Trail of the Nephilim, Volume 2. And that's coming out very soon. Um, and then, um, of course, we filmed Watchers 8, which is uh, L.A.'s series on the Watchers. And uh, that's out now. Um, as a matter of fact, people have asked me to publish my journal on my Peru trip. Um, I recently did that with my um, um, Mount Ararat expedition last fall in eastern Turkey. Uh, people asked me to publish that journal, and I, I decided to do that. I originally wasn't going to, but I, I went ahead and did that. And the pre-order for that is up now at AaronJudkins.com. Uh, and people's asking me about the Peru Journal, so I thought, yeah, yeah, why not? I'm going to do that. So the Peru Journal is going to be coming out next, hopefully cool. by the end of the year. I'm not sure, but uh, if you go to AaronJudkins.com, uh, it'll be up on that website. And then I should have a link to uh, to the uh, to the book of On the Trail of the Nephilim, Volume Two, with with the report in it. Uh, by the way, I'm going to be at Laughlin, Nevada, in November. Um, 14th, uh, this uh, Back to the Future conference there, November 14th, 15th, and 16th of this year, 2014, Laughlin, Nevada. I'm going to be speaking on November 14th. Um, um, uh, it's going to be a great conference. A lot of lot of great uh, people are going to be there, speakers, uh, including um, Chase Kleski and um, and George Norrie and uh, and and a host of others. Um, but if you're interested in the Back to the Future conference in Laughlin, Nevada, it's at the Aquarius Hotel, and um, just go to uh, my website, AaronJudkins.com, or you can go to StarWorksUSA.com, uh, StarWorksUSA.com, and register for that. Um, it, ought to be, uh, it ought to be a really interesting conference over there. I love that name, by the way, Back to the Future conference. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great name. I know. Uh, you, you know, it's funny because I, I it, going back to what we were talking about earlier uh, with the Nephilim. Uh, I do think there's more proof in biblical history or in biblical uh, artifacts and works uh, for possible intervention from aliens or otherworldly beings than uh, we've seen in Eric Fantanikin's books. Uh, a lot of the stuff I believe has been mis mislabeled and translated by him. But uh, you know, the Nephilim is an intriguing factor. In this whole thing, uh, because that's literally taken from the Bible. Well, the Nephilim is something that I really wanted to write about, also in in the book called Alien Agenda: The Return of the Nephilim. It, that right. that book is up on the website at AaronJackson.com. But 
<coughs> pardon me, but you know, the Nephilim is a very, um, a very intriguing factor into all this because they were the offspring of those fallen angels. Right. There's a lot of literature in the ancient accounts about these Nephilim, or known as giants, and we know, at least through the ancient cultures, that they have a lot of story about mm-hmm. giants. Even the Native oh, Americans yeah. yep. have stories of giants, and it's very interesting that there's a whole link to all this, to back to that story. And I think that there's there's a commonality between, just like the commonality between the Aztecs and the Incas and the Egyptians and, and the Mesopotamians, um, you know, in ancient Ur, you see pyramids. The very first pyramids were the step pyramids, not in right. Egypt, but right. in ancient Mesopotamia. Yep. And then you see them in South and Central America, and they're going back to the step pyramids again. And you have to ask yourself, why are they going back to step pyramids? And the answer is because they're they're performing human sacrifice on top of those things. And they're doing oh. something, they're taking it to the next level. The Aztecs took that whole thing to the next level, and they took you up there, man, and they cut your heart out while you were alive. I mean, these guys were brutal. No kidding. They were like the Scythians, man. The Scythians were brutal, too. Um, you know, a lot of these guys in the ancient past, you know, uh, they weren't they were not kind. If, if yeah, they weren't cooking-cutter civilizations. <laughs> yeah, you would, uh, you would suffer terribly. And, 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 of course, the Aztecs, we know that, you know, they would cut your heart out and sacrifice yep. you and throw you down. That's not movie stuff. That's reality. Reality, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and we know that from an archaeological point of view. Just a, recently they found a mass grave under one of those, uh, or near nearby, I should say, one of the step pyramids. We know that's all true. Uh, we know culturally that they practiced that. They, the, the, the thing we have to ask ourselves is why? Why would they do that? It's because they worshipped a deity called Quetzalcoatl, and Quetzalcoatl promised them forbidden knowledges and the mathematics and sciences, if yet they would only perform human sacrifice and worship that deity. That's not, that's not Aaron's theory. That's written in the Aztecs, you know, literature. That's, yeah. that's written in their archives. That is, that is a known fact. So they took it to the next level, and they were doing this thing. And, and we, so we see that, Yes, that there's a commonality in giants as well throughout the cultures, even in Native Americas, the Paiutes, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, uh, etc. And we know that at Lovelock Cave in Nevada, um, the Paiutes just uh, not too long ago said there were giants in those caves. And you know what? They discovered uh, the, 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 the skeletons of these things and the and the skulls in these caves. And I have to tell you that for some reason that didn't get collected by the Smithsonian and we had um we've got pictures of those skulls and and they found pestles at the entrance of the cave. A pestle is a, a big stone a stone rock that they used to grind uh, you know, uh, corn or maize or whatever and they yeah, mesquite beans and they would they would use it to crush and grind with. Okay, it's a stone, and they found two pestles towards the mouth of the cave. 
one weighed 25 pounds wow. and the other one weighed 40 pounds. One pestle weighed 25 pounds, the other weighed 40. Now, you have to say, why, who, what normal person could pick up a 25-pound pestle? Some some lady that, you know, uh, Native American who's, who's you know, making the meal for the day, and she's going to use a 25-pound pestle and a 40 No. <laughs> makes no sense. These yeah. were giants, and the Paiutes said that they were giants, and they were mm. cannibalistic. And so we've done a lot of research on that, too, which is very interesting, that, yes, I think it ties back into the Nephilim. We talk about it um, um, in Watcher's Aid. We talk about it in in the book that I wrote. You know, that's that's a plausible theory. Were they emulating, were the Paracas culture emulating something they saw? From the gods, yeah. So very, very interesting. It makes perfect sense. Uh, In fact... Um, we saw something like this in the movie Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, where it starts off in planet Nibiru, the very beginning, and the natives see the starship at the uh, end of the very first uh, scene, and then they start drawing. So, you know, these old cultures would emulate whatever they would see. That is actually a factual thing uh, that they showed in that movie. This is why the Prime Directive would exist. Yeah, we don't know what, you know, what they were doing. We can't really prove it, but... You know, the the theory is one of the theories is is that they were emulating something they saw. It was because of uh, you know it was royalty or showmanship of power, uh, or or it, it could be for aesthetics for beauty. We don't really know, but you know at this point it's a working theory. I think it's plausible. Um, uh, so we just don't know. The skulls are very interesting, I have to say. That is that is very interesting stuff. But what what is the end agenda, though? I mean, uh, you know, the Nephilim agenda. What is their end agenda? What's the end game? For to the thwart mankind. The end game is to thwart mankind and to ultimately deceive mankind. And um, and they have very alternative motives and means to do so. The 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 tool is deception. And the goal is destruction. And I personally think that that's what they are doing, not not just to not just to mankind, to the to everyone, to 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 the earth. Uh, this is this is this is going bad. And look, when full disclosure happens, and I I think it will. Um, these guys aren't playing by the rules because they don't have to. They're outside of the rules. They're outside of our system. They're outside of everything we've known. And uh, and they're going to be powerful, powerful beings. I think we have to be ready and vigilant, not only physically. I think you have to prepare yourself um, spiritually as well. Uh, but, and that's but, part of the yeah, but, but what defense could we really take against a superior race of beings or angels or whatever these things are? I mean, how could we possibly defend, defend ourselves? Uh, you don't accept their message. You don't accept what they're telling you because, remember, they don't play by the rules. They use deception as a tool, and in the end, um, they, they have their way. Deception is always... Always a tool they use in, in in a lot of the abduction cases. We don't talk about abduction cases in the book, but I do. We do talk about one case, um, and and look, deception is always a tool that they use. Or if they don't use deception, they just take you by force and against your will. 
That's right. why I say you have to be not only physically prepared. Yes, we need to be physically prepared for what's coming down the pike. But, you know, you have to be um, prepared spiritually. We are spiritual beings. Now, as an archaeologist and scientist, you like, oh, how can you say that? You know, but you know what? Um, <laughs> I think um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that you have to know for yourself. Um, but there's, there's a lot of evidence that people are not only physical, but we're spiritual beings as well. And we have a soul, which is comprised of our, uh, comprised of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And when you throw all that together, that makes us. That make, makes who we are. And the ancients even thought so. After we died, this isn't it. Why do you think the Egyptians buried you with everything that you ever had and killed all your servants? And, and you know, why do you think that they performed uh, very complex um, um, ceremonies? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just the Egyptians, but others as well. And they did that because they believed in an afterlife. They believed that yep, this was not the end, yep. that this was only the beginning. And um, and I have to agree, this journey in life is only the beginning. It's not the end. But what we do now determines our destiny and eternity. And I think that's very important um, for what we do now, how we live now, what we do with this gifted life. Look, I have to tell you, I wasn't going to say this, but look, I just lost some buddies in a helicopter crash, and I had to go out there and rescue them, my own crew. I had to pull my buddies out of a burning helicopter three nights ago, and it really hits home because you realize how short this life is, Mm -hmm. and you you have to be ready, and, you know, bad things happen to good people. And I have to tell you, it hurts. It hurts because those were my friends in that helicopter. And and I got thrusted into a situation where, you know, my God, I'm pulling my own crew out. And, um, and the reason I say that is to say this. You have to be ready. Life is short. Don't live life um, the way that you're not supposed to live. Live it to your fullest and and I think yeah I think if you know that you're doing what you're supposed to do do it until you know what until until you're gone that's what that's what we're supposed to do don't live life haphazardly don't live it on the couch get up and do something and you know and it really for me a long time ago I decided for me that I'm not going to if I reach to an old age and and I'm talking to my grandchildren, I decided this. I am not going to tell them, I wish I would have done this in my life. I wish I would have gone to eastern Turkey and actually climbed Mount Ararat and went on that expedition. I wish I would have gone to Peru. I wish I would have gone to these sites and studied. I wish I would have done this. I regret this. And I decided a long time ago, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, you know what? I did the hard thing. I got up and I went. I got up and I went on this expedition. I did the hard thing. I did the things that no one else was doing. I was passionate about my thing. I didn't stay on the couch and I didn't live life with regret. And I think for me, you know what? That propelled me to go say, you know what? 
It's never too late to pursue your passion. I was in the medical field, and I still am. And that's one of those hats I was wearing the other night uh, when I pulled my buddies out of that helicopter crash, uh, Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, they landed. They crashed a block behind our base. Terrible thing. Terrible. Yeah. When you um, go through something like that, it really does put into perspective, and like you said, how short life is, but – uh, not only that, I mean, it puts a lot of other things into perspective, uh, how much time we waste on meaningless things instead of spending it with people we care about and people that love us back and, and doing, you know, the right things in life. Uh, but, and you know, that's really what life is all about is, you know, connecting with human beings and, and loving each other. But uh, sadly, we don't do enough of that. It's and, more you know, hatred. Do, doing that, and you know what? I came home, I hugged my family. Mm. And and I do anyway, but you know what? It just gives a little bit newer meaning on life. Yeah, yeah, but you hooked them a little extra tighter. You do, you do. And, yeah. But you know what? It's about finding the truth, and 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 once you come to the knowledge of the truth, then you can live your life freely. You can live your life passionately. See, it's one thing to be always searching for the truth, but it's another thing to never find it. And and um, I think there's a big difference. And searching for the truth, and mm. finding the truth, and um, but look, you have to be able to go and search. If you don't, if you don't, agree. then then um, then you are, I think, wasting time. For me, um, that's why I like going and and researching these things, doing these things that I do. I, and I realize and I recognize that not everybody can go do that. Um, <laughs> and I'm very blessed to be able to go. And, and do a lot of these things, um, and it's been a lot of fun because I I bring it back to the listeners, I bring it back to the people, and I say, here's the next thing, here's what's going on, and I lay it out on the table, and I really don't say, here it is, this is what you should believe. I say, here it is, make up your own mind, and it's okay to disagree. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. You know what? Here it is. Let's talk about it. You want to disagree? Fine. I'm just going to lay it out there. And I think that's what's great about it. Um, by the way, the film's coming out. Um, hopefully this winter, Finding Noah, if you go to FindingNoah.com, it's a theatrical documentary that uh, documents our journey to eastern Turkey, Mount Ararat, in search of Noah's Ark. Uh, that's cool. coming out this winter. Uh, and look, I really need some help from your listeners. So tomorrow I'm going to be on with the network uh, execs for the History Channel and they're going to be looking at doing a show uh, with me on uh, biblical archaeology. So if you're interested in seeing Maverick, old Mav here, going on the History Channel on a new show, I really need your input. Go to AaronJudkins.com, and uh, on the bottom left of the screen, there, it'll say poll, and I really need you to put in your, your honest uh, opinion on that poll. I need you to vote because they're going to be looking at this in the morning. So please go on to AaronJudkins.com, go to the poll, vote, and then go to Facebook to Man vs. Archaeology um, and uh, put in your comment. Yes, we want to see a show, and uh, comments, suggestions are welcome. This thing is going to happen in the morning, so your suggestions, your vote on the poll will count tonight up until uh, 11 a.m. Central Time in the morning. And uh, your input is um, is very valued and very appreciated. And so thanks for doing that. Very cool. Hopefully everybody listening in can go over there and, uh, and vote. Uh, 
Aaron, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately, my friend. We have to have you back on soon so we can continue talking because it's fascinating talking to you and, and to people like you that do the work you do. You are like a real-life Indiana Jones. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, you it's, really are. It's you a really lot of, are. It's a, it's a lot of fun to, to, to be able to go do that. I, I really appreciate the, <laughs> the comment. And thanks, guys, for uh, for following me and, and my work. I, I really love all you guys, and uh, thanks for your show. It's been great uh, being your guest. It's been great having you on. And, and don't evade us like the president, like we're doing. <laughs> I promise I come promise back on. Come back on. <laughs> <laughs> guys, it's been a blast having Aaron on here, and uh, thank you all for listening in to Skywatchers Radio. Uh, for Keith Rowland, our webmaster, for my absentee co-host, Alan Weiler, who uh, unfortunately had his headset crushed by the TSA. I'm not even kidding about that, by the way. We'll talk about that next week on the show. Uh, I want to thank everybody again for listening in, and it's been a blast. We're going to be back next week with a huge guest. It's going to be a lot of fun the next uh, few months. Travis Walton coming up, Michael Heiser coming up, uh, Stephen Bassett coming up, Stanton Freeman coming up. It just gets bigger and bigger and better and better right here on Dark Matter Radio Network. Keep listening. A lot of great shows coming up on both networks, both PSN and Dark Matter Radio Network. Good night, everybody. Take care and keep looking up to the skies.